Hello and welcome to Reeves Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Hazen. And it's an interesting podcast today. It's the Snyder Cut. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Which is the re-kajiggered, re-edited, remade version of Justice League. Which was directed by Zack Snyder. But we didn't know at the time. Although it had been reported. But we yeah. just we, we never informed. <laughs> He'd left the project six months before it came out roughly. His duties had been taken over by Joss Whedon. Uh, uncredited. And it's funny, listening back to that first podcast, which we both just have done, mm. at one point I said in it, the thing about Zack Snyder and his three, he, he did Man of Steel, which was the Superman one, then Batman versus Superman, and then Justice League, is you can see the singular vision of one man. And of course, in Justice League... <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking exactly the same thing when I listened back to the podcast. You know, because there's some truth to, to the idea that that's what was so interesting about Zack Snyder's films. But it just wasn't really the case with Justice League. A lot of it was reshot, rewritten. Warner were very, very scared about the tone. They thought this is too dark and we want it to be lighter. Zack Snyder left because his daughter tragically killed herself. But then there was all these kind of rumours and scuttlebutt that they took the opportunity to really mm. heavily redo the film. It's very um, interesting and paradoxical because my understanding is that Joss Whedon was brought in to bring humour and mm-hmm. make uh, the work lighter after uh, Snyder had to leave due to his daughter's uh, death. But in fact, it's the Joss Whedon cut or version that comes across as crude and barbaric and, you know, harsh, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, I was, I, was, I was quite surprised to see the four hours and also noticed that it, it passed quite quickly. I didn't have to struggle with it. I right. agree with that. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of, of backstory and character and things seem gentler and more understanding than the two-hour version, which things seems to me kind of thuggish, actually. I kind of agree with that, too. Um, some more context is probably helpful because this is a four-hour film and it's been made for release on HBO Max, which is a streaming service owned by Warner. HBO Max started... Uh, May 2020, I think. Mm. So, so just after Justice League came out, the first one, immediately it had a very bad reception. It flopped at the box office, and people started clamouring immediately for release of the Snyder Cut because they knew yes. that um, he'd been taken off the project or had left the project, even though, like I say, Whedon's contributions were not credited. But they did. They no one knew that there was any such thing as a Snyder Cut, and it was it was just it was oh. it was a hashtag. It's only after a few months of this kind of hashtag and fan movement being around, that then details actually start to emerge. So Zack Snyder released like a photo of like nine or ten film canisters and basically said, it exists. Snyder Cut, you know, hashtag Snyder Cut. He started fomenting this kind of, no, it's real and it's my movie. Mm. Um, so all of this started to kind of build up. But you, th- but still, I think you thought like, they're never going to release this though. That would be to give into fan demands. Mm. You know, it ostensibly cost seventy million dollars to do this recut. Yeah, so obviously it's worth it to promote it on their streaming service. I think. I think that is the kind of what really the driving force. Like, there's been enough time since because you think if you redo Justice League and it's shit, then you're mugged for spending millions and millions of dollars redoing it and giving into these fan demands to make another shit film. If you redo it and it's good, you look like mugs for not having done that in the first place. Well, it has its own logic, which is an economic logic which is that for 
70 million pounds, which is actually, uh, you know, now a normal price, you know, for a premium uh, Netflix, you know, series. Mm. They have a, a series to show on their, on HBO. Yeah, I think that, that that is it. And obviously, I mean, I agree. Like, obviously, it's worth the money to them because they are yeah. putting it on their service and it's getting people interested and so on. And they could recoup some of the losses of the first film, which I understand uh, lost 60 million. I forget what it cost, but I think it grossed 600 and something. But with prints and advertising and so on, mm. it still meant that at the end of, you know, what is nonetheless an impressive uh, international gross, they still lost 60 million on it. Yeah, the budget that's reported for the first one is 300 million, and that's the box right. office reported is 650. Yeah. Well below what they needed to make. I think it needed 750 to break even. Or, right. Yeah, 725, 750, something like that. Um, so it's, it's kind of fascinating this exists, but one of the reasons that I think it can be four hours, well, the reason it can be four hours, is because it's on a streaming service. The, the, the two hour limit was imposed by Warner. On sure. Joss Whedon, so like it's not entirely his fault that it is so rushed. Yes. There's a lot to fit in, and this film, this version of the film, has a lot more space to explore the backstories of the characters. Because it's interesting to me that where Justice League, the first one, ends, is three and a half hours into this one. Then mm. there's like additional story at the yeah. end. So it's like if you take Justice League, stretch it. Imagine all that space that it gives you. It gives you space to fill in these stories, fill in these backstories. There are lots of scenes that just have more time in them. Yes. You know, and that, I and think, are is... better for it. Exactly. So you would think that because you have to condense, the two-hour version would be more allegorical or more poetic or more symbolic because it would have to use all of those tropes in order just to convey hmm. meaning in, in a condensed way or feeling in a condensed way. But actually... It's the opposite. It's almost like, you know, in giving the four-hour version room to breathe, you also have kind of moments of poetry. Like, some of it is quite kitsch poetry. Mm. Yeah. You know, but the scenes of uh, Aquaman with the droplets in slow motion <laughs> are very kind of Zack Snyder shots, in fact. Yes, I was going to say. Well, the thing about Zack Snyder is if you speed up all of the slow motion shots, that probably saves you 40 minutes. <laughs> so there's that. There's a lot of lingering songs. But, but it's very nice. It's actually... It is nice. It's kind of beautiful to, to see some of that. What did you make of the aspect ratio? I loved the aspect ratio. So this is an academy ratio. Yeah, and I loved it. And actually, maybe it has to do with where we saw it, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so maybe on television it just works better. I don't know. It makes it to seem more intimate. It's more of a story about people yeah, mm-hmm. and the earth. Um, the people don't get um, swallowed up uh, by landscape. Yeah, so I think... Uh, uh, I, I, you know, you would think the, the, the normal intuition is you're making a big spectacle, go widescreen, right? It's about wars of the world and, you know, and so on, widescreen. But actually, I think, uh, you know, to me, it, uh, it uh, was a much better experience kind of seeing it in that 4-3 ratio. I thought it was a mistake. Oh, why? Early on, I was into it uh, because there was, there was darkness and claustrophobia and I think it, that matched the tone. Um, especially in, in kind of interpersonal scenes. Um, as the film became more action-oriented, I didn't think it worked for the action at all. I mean, I was noting, particularly in the last action scene, the, the, the big one where they're fighting the baddie, shots tend to focus on just one thing. They'll show you just one thing. 
But I don't mean that in quite the way that, like, for instance, when we spoke about intensified continuity, mm. David Bordwell, who I think came up with that mm. concept, came up with or, or kind of codified it, um, says that it's about giving you one piece of information in every shot. Mm. And I, I don't quite mean that. What I mean is that you don't get space which I've realised I actually would have liked at the edge of the screen to locate someone, you know, or locate kind of an action. The scenes started to feel very segmented. You were seeing people just in isolation or Mm. actions in isolation. I didn't enjoy that. I think that it probably would have looked great on an IMAX screen, you know, once it was filling Mm. your vision. The problem is now is now that we all watch widescreen TVs, actually that's a very compressed image that you're getting. I love it. I mean, I didn't miss it at all. Uh, and I thought even some of the action sequences, it, you know, it definitely allows you to look at other things. So, you know, the bit where Superman is reborn, you know, and you, you, my God, you know, you get the whole kind of Christ thing and the body and, you know, it kind of it, it impacted me in a way that it didn't on a big screen. And in fact, because I saw Justice League afterwards, and to be honest, you know, I just couldn't even be bothered. It's like, <laughs> you know, I found it so dull and 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 crude and, you know, banging your head with things, you know. And, you know, some of the battle sequences, I, I mean, I'm sure they were designed for the big screen. But, you know, I think they do look better in the 4-3 ratio because, to me, they're not even much to look at. It just seems like CGI, you know, um, those evil little armored eagles or whatever they are. I mean, you know, that all look like kind of painted on anyway. And, you know, mm. I, I just... I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with that lost. as well. And I think Zack Snyder definitely has an artist's eye that Joss Whedon doesn't. Mm. I mean, you look at the way that Joss Whedon stages... See, like, there's a few scenes that... that um, well, there are several scenes that, you know, were reshot and what have you. But there's one or two in particular that were restaged. So the one that really caught my eye was when Martha, Superman's mum... Mm goes to see Lois Lane. Yes. And in Justice League, the the, the original one, um, Lois is in the office and it's brightly lit. I mean, it looks like TV. Mm. You know, it's very flat, bright lighting and it's just very boring. Whereas in Zack Snyder's, for a start, the setting is different because Lois has not returned to work and that's part of the point of the scene. Martha brings that up. You haven't gone to work since Superman died. So it's already moody for the reason that Lois is not happy. Mm. Um, it's in Lois's very dark apartment. There's this light coming through the window behind them, and it's beautiful the way it plays on their silhouettes. There's such a rich aesthetic, such mm. a feeling that all of that generates the mm. way that Snyder stages and shoots it. It's for visual consumption in a way that Joss Whedon's scene absolutely is not. Yeah. I mean, I thought, I don't know if it's uh, Joss Whedon that shot all those jokes with The Flash, uh, with Ezra Miller, I think. Miller. You know, but they felt really TV as well. I mean, when he says Dostoevsky and things like that, you go kind of... Well, that's that's from his... That's from Whedon's version of the final scene. No, I um, But it's, it's funny, speaking of Ezra Miller, because I was thinking how every line that I would have guessed Joss Whedon had added, mm. I was right about, basically, yes. apart from the flashes, which I get the feeling were... Cause, well, well, or put it this way... The Flash is the only one whose kind of comedy lines remain in Snyder's version. Mm. So maybe they were added by Whedon and he felt they were good enough. Or maybe they were there originally. But his character is, is like the one where they fit. Whereas everything else... So for instance, in uh, the scene where they resurrect Superman and he fights them. Mm. Um, in Whedon's version, 
they redo that line from Batman vs Superman, do you bleed? Mm. And Superman says to him, do you bleed? And then after the fight's finished and he's gone off, Batman's there on the ground and he goes, oh, something's definitely bleeding. Which is not a line that comes up, that doesn't mm. happen, none of that happens in Snyder's version, right? They just let it be dramatic. They don't try and cap it off with a comedy button. Happens a lot with Whedon's version. And you can see the attempt to basically marvel it up. Mm. And, the, and the thing is, it is this kind of central thing that you, that you go, or at least I do, <laughs> I go, Marvel have made themselves the kings of this kind of action comedy. Don't try and compete with them on their playing field because you will lose. And that's exactly what they found out, effectively. I mean, the film Bond, mm. you know? Whereas um, Zack Snyder has always obviously conceived of this as mythological and large-scale and self-serious... And, you know, there are issues with that. I think Zack Snyder has a massive ego to him, which, you know, that doesn't always necessarily come through in the most healthy way. Let's put it on in perspective. I mean, you know, I, I really liked it. And, uh, uh, you know, time flew by. I didn't feel it was, uh, you know, it felt like binge-watching TV in a very pleasurable way, watching <laughs> the four-hour Zack Snyder version. I appreciated all the elements of character and characterization that it brought forth, all the relationships between people. I appreciated seeing everybody's backstory so in the flash you know the whole scene in the pet shop and so on mm -hmm. you know uh i appreciated ben affleck's performance more because actually you get to see a lot more of him without a mask mm -hmm. yeah and interacting with people so the you know the performance made sense in a different way which i really hated in in the first version you know but i also don't understand Zack snyder fandom i mean i very much liked and would recommend his version of justice league you know, but if you look through his whole whole uh, I, you know, I, I, I think I've seen all of them, really, uh, and I don't remember any of them. You know, <laughs> except maybe some of the battle sequences of you know, was it three hundred AD or whatever it was? Three hundred. Three hundred. Where and that was just because of the novelty of them. You know, and who I side with. I went to a huge theater in Paris mm. to see it with with an ex of mine. Um, well, we weren't exes at that point. But anyway, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of the reason I remember the film has more to do with what was around the film, <laughs> you know, than with the film itself. And the rest, I mean, you know, I have seen them all. I've seen the Superman and, you know, and I actually... Have you seen Legend of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul? No. No, no one has. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Sucker Punch? Uh, I think I might know. I've all been very nervous to watch that one because I remember people saying it would have been more successful and cheaper had he just shot a porn film. People found it very deeply fucking sexist. Right. I can't. Re I don't really know. I say I'm nervous to watch it, mm. but maybe I should. I don't. It, it sounds horrible. Yes. Another. Th just whilst I'm thinking of it, another thing that really stood out for me watching the four three version. And I can't tell you about the psychology of the brain or whatever, but when watching the 4-3 version, I, I couldn't stop gasping at how beautiful Gal Gadot was, mm. right? Like, you know, her body, her legs, her face, it all kind of brought, you know, brought that to the fore somehow, you know, whereas it kind of seems to be lost in the big, yeah, like the big screen gives a different perspective on it, you know, and I really was just dumbstruck by how beautiful she is, really. Yeah, so I think I do maintain that the full frame open mats, you know, version aesthetic is a mistake overall. But one very interesting way in which it's used by Zack Snyder is how he frames bodies. It concentrates the frame on a body. Yes. You know, when he frames it kind of in, in its full height from head to toe. And he does that with Gal Gadot an awful lot. 
And I found one shot really interesting, and it's actually not quite her full body, it's kind of the top half of her body, where she is working, she, she is like a museum, whatever yes. she is, and she's working on a statue of a goddess. Yes, I think I know which shot you're talking about. Right, and she's dressed in white. She's like not dressed in work clothes, really. She's dressed in this kind of white dress that's quite quite dressy. And you think, okay, well, that's Zack Snyder showing her off, I guess. But there's a reason, like, she's dressed in white, and this statue is all white and mm. it's beautiful and it's of Athena or something mm. and the way that the camera just slowly it's all done in this one take so the camera just slowly moves around her and it doesn't exactly show her off it's not like screaming at you look at this body but you go this is the same like Zack Snyder is looking at her as a goddess mm. framing her as a goddess and making her and dressing her in white to look like this marble statue the way it's looking at the actual marble statue and, and when that shot shows up in Justice League it, it like it establishes that she's working on this statue, and then it cuts to something else, and it gets through the scene really quickly. It doesn't it like it's like the it's like the the aesthetic point of that shot has been missed mm. in editing it in Justice League, mm. whereas it's allowed to to breathe and bloom mm. in this new version. It does that a lot. I think he does it with the men as well about showing off the the power of their bodies and things, mm. but it comes across less than it does with with Gal Gadot. Yes, though you know it allows you to look uh, at faces. You know, I was very struck by some of the performances I knew. Um, Diane Lane, mm. you know, was just wonderful to see as uh, a Superman's uh, mother in a way that I hadn't felt that when watching the original. You're allowed to look into her face, really. Mm. Uh, and, you know, with a great actress, they can do wonderful things. Also, and, the scene is played, it's richer emotionally, mm. the way it's played. So that's part of it, I think. Yes. Um, you know, when I saw the credits and the... Uh, the Snyder version, I thought, my God, you know, it's kind of just a supporting cast, right? It's like mm. Willem Dafoe and Jesse Eisenberg and, you know, J.K. Simmons. And I mean, there's so many great actors, right? Like, uh, you know, and they're not even the, the stars mm. of the film, right? Um, and that's certainly not an impression I left the original Justice <laughs> League with, right? Uh, so, and this film does bring them into play, the the... Mm. the the four-hour version does bring them into play in really interesting ways. I mean, actually, I loved uh, uh, Jesse Eisenberg's Luther. Mm. Yeah, uh, in that whole coda at the end of the film, I can, you know, I can imagine him kind of being wonderful in subsequent films if they ever make them now. Um, mm, we'll see. He was. He was that 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 scene in slightly concentrated form does show up at the end of the first Justice League in a mid credit scene, uh-huh. which I imagine he probably turned off before he got to it. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting actually to think about how this version of the film sets up things that are no longer being set up in the in the original cut. You know, so the original cut does have Lex Luthor bringing in whoever the guy with one eye is. Don't know his name. Um, Yeah, I I I don't know either actually. Whoever, but but essentially in the first film, which I don't think is a line that made it in here, it was a line about. we deserve a league of our own, mm. right? So that's how they were setting up some villain league. Mm. Um, in here, it's this thing about the return of the nightmare, Batman's nightmare, which he'd had previously. It's this kind of post-apocalyptic Gotham. Mm. So there's a long, long scene at the end of this film after the action has stopped where you're thinking, okay, film's over now, get out. In this kind of final 25, 30 minutes of stuff, he goes he goes into his nightmare and he's obviously lost people, right? Because he's, he's there accompanied by the companions of people that he's lost. Mm. So he's with Amber Heard and he's obviously lost uh, Aquaman. And I think, I think the suggestion is that Lois is just dead and Superman's dead and they're all gone. And then he's there with Joker. 
Yes. Well, I don't know about that Joker scene. I loved it. And actually, I thought What's-His-Name was wonderful. Jared Leto. Yeah, I thought Jared Leto was wonderful. Uh, you know, and people had been making fun of his Joker in... Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. But actually, you know, this was like kind of fey and poetic. And, you know, I thought it was just marvellous. I didn't I, see the purpose. I thought, you know, that bit of Joker could stand <laughs> alongside any of the others. You know, it's, it is a completely different interpretation. Uh, and I thought it was wonderful. I thought it kind of, it, it was almost like an elegiac, sad, fey note to the film that it didn't have before. I didn't see the purpose. It's the, I mean, the scene. I mean, I don't really disagree that, that his performance is good, but the but the point of the scene is um, again to kind of bring back this nightmare thing. So this idea that they would be this post-apocalyptic Gotham one day, that Batman has kind of foreseen. Hmm. Um, but also when he sees the Joker, it's it, it's about Batman's rage and saying I will kill you. And I thought, I mean, I know that Batman's angry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and I know the Joker's capable of winding him up, even I, though he's not really met him yet. I loved it. And actually, I didn't think too much about it, because I thought, well, you know, it's clearly put in there to feed future, yeah. you know, kind of storylines. So I wasn't too bothered by that at all. I loved the coda with the Martian Manhunter appearing. Yeah, that uh, was interesting. I'd never heard of the Martian Manhunter. Yes, I, I read, well, he was always a fixture of the Justice League and you know, kind of comic books. I think maybe even from the 50s, really. So he was someone who I think... I could never really figure out what his powers were, except that they were like like Superman's. Right. right. <laughs> well, he can certainly shapeshift. We've seen that. Yeah. Because he play, he pretends to be Martha. Yes. So he could shapeshift, but also he's got super strength and he can fly. And, mm. you know, if he doesn't have heat vision, he's got something like <laughs> it. Right. So, you know, it was like... A, a kind of a Superman from Mars type of right. clone, yeah. So I anyway, I I really appreciated um, that. Um, I thought the whole father son relationship with what's his name the cyborg, mm. um, you know, made a whole lot more sense now. It was much richer. It's really really empty yeah. in the original theatrical version, and actually you can see how it was really meant to be central. There's so much of it. Yeah. And he's really an emotional centre of the film. And he's ultimately... Okay, they do save the day as a team. And actually, they save the day as more of a team than they do in the mm. first version. Um, but he's the one who is kind of central in understanding. You know, he hacks in and he's the one pulling the boxes apart to save yes. the um, And then he's given, extra, he's given extra sort of motivation and purpose because he watches his dad sacrifice himself. Yes, it's amazing. It actually is really quite amazing because one could argue, you know, that the snack uh, 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 Snyder version is about him. Yeah, that kind of, you know, he is the central character, mm. really. I, I, You know, I would argue much more than Superman, much more than The Flash. Yeah, maybe Batman can compete, but really he doesn't have that narrative arc. No. You know? So actually, it's his story. And so it's interesting that the two-hour version puts him on the margins, whereas the four-hour version puts him at the centre. Although it's also interesting that when I listen back to the first podcast we did, I said that the only character who who had a moment that got me was Cyborg. Ah. You know, and he wasn't central at all, but he was the one who, at the end of that film, when he says, I want to live, after having spent the whole film brooding and wanting to die, mm. I, I went, you know, good for you. 
you know so even in that version uh-huh. like it kind of it yeah. kind of got to me that he was that he had this emotional journey but this film is vastly superior in how it fleshes it out and the respect that it shows him mm. also maybe informed by the reports I don't know if you heard the same thing of Ray Fisher's abuse at the hands of um, Joss Whedon when they were reshooting no he, he came out and made a couple of statements about it and people you know kind of really got behind him recently oh um, right so the actor who plays yeah yeah Ray, ah. Ray Fisher I, I, I'm, I'm not gonna I can't remember what exactly it was but um, basically incredibly bad treatment Right, um, and then a lot of people of from Buffy came out and yeah. supported him and talked about what an asshole yes, that's Josh right. Whedon was. Um, yeah, well. So maybe informed by that, um, because it's actually interesting. I, I, it, I was thinking to myself, how would I have taken it if this had been the version of the film I'd seen first? Nice. You know, because I really, really did not like the first cut. You were in pain. Actually, it was so funny listening to our podcast. You know. Because- I was yeah. laughing at how much you were suffering in the cinema. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, I rewatched, I rewatched the original, and I did not hate it nearly as much. I, I, I mean, I felt very blasé about it, and obviously, three years of acclimatizing to it does wonders. Well, but, you know, having seen it once, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, that's what it is, and and so I do wonder if I'd have had a similar reaction to Snyder's version had I seen that three. You know what I mean? Very hard to to maybe. I mean. I stand by my original opinion of Justice League, and I tried seeing it last night, really. And I did see it in quotation marks. I mean, it was on, you know, but my mind kept wandering, and I kept thinking about other things, and I kept checking Facebook, you know. And, you know, every once in a while I'd look up and go, oh, this is so brutish and thuggish Hmm. and unappealing and unattractive, really. You know, and then go back to my (laughs) thing. You know, I was like, I just, you know... uh, I just can't imagine myself seeing it for pleasure again, you know. Mm. Uh, was actually, I could imagine myself seeing the four-hour version again. Yeah, that's <laughs> interesting. I think I'm sort of done with it, but I, I liked it. I liked the feeling that it was what I was meant to see or something like that. And and, I, and in a way, I I was thinking, like, I was cowed into saying that, you know, I didn't like Batman vs Superman or Man of Steel. I like those films, and I'm not going to let myself be cowed anymore. I enjoyed those films, even though people were there were stupid and... and moronic and all the rest I, I saw Batman vs Superman twice at the cinema I was raving about it I really enjoyed it and I would have done on this podcast had we been doing it at the time alright okay you know I I, I, I I don't feel that way there were things about those films that really really worked for me um, and maybe it was the idea that they were, they were they were looking at something different like I say to what Marvel was doing and they were they were aiming at in a way they're aiming at something more like Lord of the Rings like high fantasy you know, that's the way they want to interpret these characters. And you mm. can see that in Snyder's cut, the kind of the other characters that are on the margins and the way he treats them. The whole um, uh, kind of flashback that you're shown to the war that the Athenians, the humans and the other people fought, loads of people, not just the three, you know, not just the fish people and the Athenians or whatever, everyone fought this... Atlanteans, not fish people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, so you see this giant war that they fought years ago against Darkseid, mm. and that's what brought the boxes there. And then the boxes got split up, and that's how you know. And that's like Lord of the Rings, right? The, the, you know, you get this one ring, you get this one ring, hide them all, and blah blah blah. It's like Zeus is mentioned, Zeus is fighting. Mm. You know, you got aliens from space, and they're all the magic around. You go like this is aiming at something epic and apocalyptic. That I mean, I don't share your enthusiasm because I have seen all of those films. You know, and again, you know, maybe I'm getting old and my memory's just shit to begin with, you know, but I struggle to think of any 
anything memorable from it. I can't remember images from it. Yeah, whereas I, you know, I, I re-saw the original Superman mm. just a few weeks ago. And, you know, there are many problems with that film. It's not a great masterpiece of the cinema. But it's so charming and inventive. And there are images that really stay with you, mm. right? You know, um, in a way that, you know, I have seen the Zack Snyder films kind of more recently anyway. Um, and I just, you know, I mean, there are things that I kind of, I like about them, but but not many actually. And I, I do think that there's something about American cinema and culture. I've said this before, you know, which I just think is thuggish and military and brutish and barbaric. And that Snyder's films to me evoke you know, I always give uh, the example of seeing Beyonce dance in the Super Bowl, and it's all like these military formations, right? Mm -hmm. And you think, like, you know, it's a military culture, and it's like, you know, and there's something about Zack Snyder's films that to me evoke that, you know, that metal formation, mm. you know. There's something, you know, where... Uh, the infinite variety of the human spirit is not visible. <laughs> I think you've got a point. Got a point. Although it's interesting that basically every kind of big action movie, including the Marvel ones, are made with the help of the army, like always. In mm. fact, Michael Bay used to brag about it, you know, which they don't do anymore. It's more um, covert. Well, now. it is a producer's kudos, yeah, if you can get all this stuff for free, you know. <laughs> yeah, mean, but the point is that the uh, army, like the army finds that this promotes them. Of course. You know, yeah, that's yeah, the point. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No. Um, <laughs> so, let's focus more on what was good about the Zack Snyder cut. It felt lighter. I don't know if, it, you know, uh, if there were more scenes that were in the open air or whatever. Yeah, but it did feel lighter. Yeah, visually lighter. Yeah, there were mm -hmm. more scenes in the ocean. Yeah. Uh, so, it still has like a kind of a gray... That's interesting. You know, but it felt lighter. I mean, to me, it felt visually gloomier, ah. but I found that fitting, right? It fits the, the, the tone. I think actually one of the things about the theatrical version is the attempt to lighten it is so ill Okay, let's see what we mean by lighter. Yeah, so... No, I mean visually as well as oh, in right, tone. okay. Yeah. Uh, no, because I think, you know, visually... Uh, oh, I could be wrong, but it did feel <laughs> lighter. You know, yeah. it, uh, um, I think light is used better. Yeah, but um, I'm not sure that it was just just on a simple level visually lighter. Um, well, you know, to me, um, the Whedon version is so much that kind of blue grayscale that I think mm. is so characteristic of you know this type of cinema, really, um, like a metallic. It has a kind of a metallic mm. kind of sheen. Right, and then the monsters comes in, and it's all like orange, yellow, and brown, black. Mm -hmm. You know, whereas I think I think maybe it's just that there were more scenes in the open air, or mm. you know, yeah, in the ocean. Okay, to me, I left with a sense of a slightly different color, color palette. But I think it's graded differently. Ah, okay. Um, well, it definitely is, and there's a definitely a different visual quality. But I think it's the emphasis that Whedon's version has is on literally brightening things. I think it's just there's a feeling of well, like I say, I mean, if we could go back to that scene where Martha goes to see Lois. No, no, I remember it. I remember it vividly. You know, and it is so completely different than you know when they go into what is it, the Daily Planet office or whatever. Mm. Um, so I, I suppose my I, I I liked it very much the Snyder cut, and I do plan to see it again. 
Though, you know, I think it does raise questions about Snyder's contributions to the DC universe, right? I kind of, I don't like it, <laughs> right? I mean, I do find it crude and dark, but in a kind of a robotic, metallic, vengeful, wrathful, angry sense that is kind of, mm. you know, not my view of the world, but also not a true world view of the world. I mean, yeah, I, I think there's a lot more variety to, you know, certainly a, a cinematic universe than Zack Snyder is presenting. And, you know, part of the reason why I like this is because to me it did feel lighter, yeah, yeah. more, yeah, more inclusive somehow. And actually now that we're talking about it, I do think it's fascinating that the moral center, the emotional uh, center of the story is afforded to, what's the name of that story? Cyborg. Cyborg, yeah. Mm. Is he called Cyborg? His character's called Cyborg, yeah. Oh, right, okay. Sorry, I was thinking I was going to say the Cyborg. No, yeah, um, Victor Stone, right? Is, yeah. But he's, he's, his superhero name is Cyborg. Yes. Uh, I, I thought that was very interesting. I think that the long-term idea behind the continuing Zack Snyder films as they were going to be, there were going to be another couple of Justice Leagues at least, um, was to become more hopeful over time. Ah. Start in a dark place, which was which would have been Batman versus Superman, where the, it was at its darkest and at uh, least hopeful, and then become more hopeful over time. And I think because Batman v Superman went down terribly, there was a, a strong reaction mm. in Warner HQ to that. And that's kind of why you see the sense of panic in the films that they... And ultimately they don't have... Including Justice League, which obviously changed directors and blah, 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 and that's why this is all happening. Um, there is a sense of panic to it. And um, there was a great thing before Avengers Endgame came out... Um, Roy Wood Jr., who's an American comedian who's on The Daily Show, he did this YouTube video, which was this um, recap of all of the Marvel films. And he does Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And he's like, they made one walking tree movie. Tree raccoon, <laughs> <laughs> tree raccoon movie. DC are still trying to work out who's going to play Batman. And Marvel are on their second talking tree movie. <laughs> you know, And there's a sense of just DC being afraid of its own, of like the monster it's created, you know, in Zack Snyder's version of its universe and going, oh no, I don't know about this. And so there's this, it's so inconsistent, the feel and the tone of all these films. But you know, in Guardians of the Galaxy, when Chris Pratt at the beginning, you know, goes into that universe, you know, or that cave or whatever, and the 1970s song comes on, mm. right? And then you get, you get the, the dance and the shootout. I mean, there's a sense of wonder and magic and, you know, kind of almost joy, yeah, in that scene that is nowhere evident in any of the Snyder films. Yeah, I know, but that's because they want to hit you in the gut. Yeah, well... They want to shoot you <laughs> in the gut. You it's know? only a movie, Zach. know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know, and that's where the kind of sense of ego and whatnot comes in. Like, I, I, I think it's, I think it's amazing that the film has come out in an Academy ratio, and, and I, I do think that it's that it's a aesthetic mistake, and obviously that's up I, for debate. I, I like it. Obviously that's up for debate, but I think it's amazing that it has come out that way. Mm. Like, what is the mechanism that Warner Brothers wouldn't have wanted it to come out like that? If it had been up to them, come out in widescreen, just like regular Sean people tellies. My, my concerns have to do with other things, like, you know, with the question of intentionality, for example. I mean, if he had originally shot it in widescreen to be shown in widescreen, then presumably all these decisions were made as to composition, right? And light, yeah, and even color that went into, you know, each framing. 
And it seems like quite incredible that all of that should be discarded now. Mm. Yeah, so even though I really liked it in 4.3, it makes you question the decisions of the filmmaker, right? Kind of, mm. you know, if it's so easily done away with, why did you shoot it in widescreen? Mm. You know, does ratio not matter, right? Because it wasn't shot in 4.3, yeah, so to... Well, was it? I mean, it's an open. It, from what I read, it's that's the open mat. Ah. So maybe that is the base. The and it, and the four three frame was crossed. Well, I did look. I did. I did look at a couple of scenes and a couple of shots just to compare. And the, and definitely the widescreen one was cropped out of the full frame. Uh-huh. Um, which is not to say that the full frame was necessarily composed for being shown as full frame. Maybe it was just composed so you could crop this wide screen image out of it. Mm. But um, I think it, I think this is how it was shot. Well, you know, I mean, I think then that's very interesting because then it makes sense, you know, why for me the 4.3 seems to work better. That's how it was composed, you know. That that's my understanding, but it's basic understanding. I don't right. know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but that's an interesting question, uh, uh, you know, and, and worth finding out about, actually. Um, so... But I, I really liked it. Um, I really liked the 4.3. I think it allowed you a kind of a different view. And a yeah. kind of a more balanced view somehow. Like the 4.3 made sense to me. Certainly it kind of, you know, drew attention to different things and made it more pleasurable. Mm, I don't agree with any of that. Um, yes, I know. <laughs> I, I think it killed But it action. would make sense if it was composed that way, as you seem to be arguing. Yeah, yeah, no, but I think it killed the action stone dead and I didn't like the way it looked the rest of the time. I... I didn't see what it was achieving. But the question, like I say, I have is actually how was it released in this state? Mm. You know, like, like have they decided to give over so much authority to Zack Snyder for his version that he can make that decision? Which is a big well, decision for a film this big, even though it's only been released on streaming. Well, I think that the, the, the answer there lies in that it's streaming, mm. right? I mean, I think they would not have allowed him to make that decision, you know, for a theatrical release. I think kind of streaming allows more flexibility and at less cost. And actually, I think that they will do very well with this, you know. Mm. I thought the last action scene, which is completely changed, really, in this, um, was better and more interesting than in the theatrical version. Um, and I think it's partly because I've already alluded to the fact that they defeat Steppenwolf as a team more so than they did in the first one. So in this one, they're still waiting for Superman to arrive after having resurrected him. And he does show up late and he saves the day. But in this, what he does is he just beats up Steppenwolf. That's Mm. his contribution, right? He's the one who has the physical ability to fight him. And Mm. he does. Um, In the first version, Superman showed up and not only beat the villain, but did everyone else's job for them. Like he was saving people, which Ezra Miller was supposed Mm. to be doing. And he was like faster than him. You know, we, we made the point in the first podcast that the first film makes a great argument for the fact that Superman doesn't need help. Yeah. You know, in this, it's less obvious that Superman doesn't need help because he's doing fewer jobs that everyone else is taking care of. And obviously Cyborg is the one who's hacking into those cubes and gets rid of them. And Flash is the one who ultimately saves the day because he's able to travel back in time yeah. just by a few seconds after they've lost to a time when they haven't lost. And he manages to save the day just in the nick of time. And obviously Superman has travelled back in time before. We've seen that in Superman 2, was it? Um, I don't know, but he's got the power to do so. Yeah, but he doesn't do that here because he's just been blown up. So it's Flash who has to do it. Yeah. So in other words, what I'm getting at is it's a more balanced ending, a more balanced fight scene. Yes. And more interesting because, you know, then you see that, because, well, obviously in this film, you see more Steppenwolf, which is interesting. He's given more of a backstory, more more, more of a story, actually. Yes. 
Um, so he's, he's more clearly a servant and to dark side and afraid and you know and so on than he yeah in the first version yeah absolutely and you see much more of that and so when he is ultimately um, killed and his head's chopped off and there's just this thing of dark side looking at them through the portal before it closes and they're weighing each other up you know that again is a kind of portent of what would be coming in Justice League two and three which is not going to happen. I like the way that uh, you also see, unless I'm mistaken, you know, but in the four-hour version, you see Steppenwolf, you know, as he's being killed, his armor wears away, you know, and you begin to see, like, his his face and, you know, and so mm. on, you know, which I thought kind of um, humanized him a bit as well. <laughs> That's, nice. That's nice, isn't it? <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up. Uh, so, yeah. uh, final word. It's definitely a vast improvement on on the uh, theatrical version. Yes, uh, significantly, and it's worth watching. And it went by surprisingly quickly. I would highly recommend it. And not only did the four hours pass very quickly, but I think I might spend another four hours tonight watching it again. Mm. And if they did somehow, I, I do want. I do kind of fear the the. Um, the potential growing influence of fans because this started as a fan thing, a fan hashtag with nothing behind it and then it's turned into this thing that's actually real. And you go, like, if the fans... Because now, apparently, the fans want uh, the Snyder Universe. So you go, well, if you, if you concede to them on one thing, if you give them an inch, they will take a mile. Stop giving fans what they want. Tell them what they want. Well, I think there's room for lots of things. I think there's room... You know, for people to have their own artistic vision and whatever, and you know, there's there's room for works in which kind of fans, uh, you know, are given influence over the development of characters. I mean, actually, I thought one of the characteristics of the comic books was always like this wonderful dialogue between the makers and the fans. I don't particularly have any problems with that. I think it's the Rotten Tomatoes generation. Don't be scared by these people. Okay, don't you know? Just make your mistake. Make your shitty movie, release it, never speak of it again. But no, they've given them what they want. Well, listen, I think that's an argument to make if you're <laughs> making, like, you know, a $50,000 film or a $50 million film, maybe. You know, but when you're making a $300 million movie, give the fans what they fucking want. So they, yeah. <laughs> but like I say, they made the mistake, let it go. Because um, you know? now, now they're going to want... And I would be interested as well, I suppose, to see Justice League 2 and 3 if... They would, you know, and they know, there's no way they will give it back to Zack Snyder, but will they? Well, I think <laughs> a lot will depend on how this does. Mm. If they do, I reckon it'll be more four-hour TV miniseries type films. Or... Would they risk know, it in the cinema again? Well, why not? I mean, because it's not as if the cinema is the end of the road, as we've seen with this. You could have, you know, a film version, and then you could have the four or five hour... Mm. you know, a version to be shown on HBO, you know, and I mean, frankly, I'd be interested in seeing both. I mean, I don't have any problems <laughs> with that. So who's the Zack Snyder whore now? It is you. <laughs> <laughs> I do not think so. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye.
I'll tell you another thing. I just I did write a couple of notes. In the first version, I noticed the um, Danny Elfman Batman theme, which I don't think I'd noticed before. Because I think, I think Danny Elfman did the score in the first one, because Junkie XL had done the score, but they got rid of it. His score is in this one. Mm. But in the, in the original, when Batman shows up, it's his Batman theme from like 1990, 1989. Wow. Well, weird, right? And it's not the same track, obviously, but it's the theme is used in the score. Very weird, because... Like that's not Batman's actual theme, and like it's like he didn't have it in the Christopher Nolan films. It's a weird thing to kind of invoke that Batman, you know. Yeah, the Jack Nicholson Batman. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's a weird thing because he's not the same Batman. So, like, it's not the same world. It's not the same world. It evokes different feelings, and then it's like da 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 da. Wait a minute, what's going on? Oh, and here's the here's the other thing which I made a note on. Why is Darkseid? They said he turned a hundred thousand worlds to dust looking for anti-life which is that kind of formula that uh, Steppenwolf comes across mm. on Earth. But we've seen this history, Darkseid's history with Earth, because that's where he lost the cubes. Mm. So you think, like, A, the cubes are important to him, despite being separate from anti-life. The cubes are important to him, so wouldn't he have come back to Earth at some point anyway? Why has he turned 100,000 other worlds to dust before coming back to Earth, and wouldn't he have found anti-life? There? It doesn't make sense, right? No, and if he'd only come 100 years earlier, he would have gotten them. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. You only had to get it before Batman and Superman were there. That's a silly thing. Like all oh, these two very, very it, I mean, it is always the way with superhero things that like he these very very important things just happen to be on Earth. But in this one, <laughs> but in this thing, it's like because in Marvel, it's every single Infinity Stone apart from two is on Earth. You know, and they're all there. And, and, and in in Endgame, they're like if you get to New York in 2014, there's three of them there. So, oh, what are the odds? <laughs> And in here, it's the anti-life thing and all the boxes. They're on Earth at the same time. and But for some reason, they seem to not to have noticed. 